against the Scousers. Totally deserved victory as well. Absolutely bob on the statistical outcome that was likely based on what actually happened in the match. Ah, indeed, indeed. And a Herrera going to prison, though. Ah, I, I feel sorry for the young lad. This is no good. He'll end up feeling like a Scouser. <laughs> no, unacceptable. I really hope Ander Herrera doesn't go to prison. I like him a lot. And it's only a bit of match-fixing anyway. What's the harm in a bit of match-fixing between mate? Well, he wasn't even match-fixing. The allegation is that he passed money on from one party to another. Uh, some Levante players, apparently, and not that he was actually match-fixing himself. It seems a little odd, being a, uh, an intermediary and some you know, financial shenanigans. It's not as if the, uh, the lad is poor. No, I mean, he would be the person that I wanted to go to if I wanted someone to pass something on to someone else because of his outstanding pass completion. Yeah, I, I see where you're getting at there. See? Yeah, very good. Very good pass stuff. completion. Ah, good. <laughs> when you say good stuff, you mean absolutely terrible stuff, right? Well, you know, a bit of bant. It was banter. That that's what he should tell the judge. <laughs> it was it was just financial banter. <laughs> yeah. Two thousand and eight Wall Street. Just banter. <laughs> that banter was seriously subprime, I tell you. So, is Ander Herrera gonna go to prison though, Ed? I don't know, not being a Spanish judge. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have believed it, but uh, I am in fact not a Spanish judge. But he has been named alongside 45 other people in a, in a um in an inquiry that could lead to criminal prosecution and eventual conviction and a potential prison sentence if found guilty there's a lot of ifs in there right so um he has to be prosecuted he's not actually been charged this is a report at this stage uh, he'd then have to be found guilty and then sentenced so we're a long way from that and you know if um Lionel Messi can embezzle 4.3 million euros worth of tax and not go to prison I think uh, Ander might be all right but you know we'll see yeah absolutely it was a fine performance from Ander Herrera in the 20 minutes that he was on the pitch against Liverpool and in general in spite of the fact that you could argue that some uh, better clinical finishing on Liverpool's part would have made it a very different game in fact you couldn't possibly reasonably argue that that's not the case it was a Really decent-ish United performance with a bunch of caveats, right? As we gloriously strode to an easy 3-0 win. Mm, yes, quite a lot of caveats, yeah. Uh, Rob Smythe, the, uh, the journalist, called uh, the decision to not play Herrera in favour of uh, Marin Fellaini cultural vandalism, which I think is about right, given that Fellaini's first three touches of the ball were to trap it about 25 yards, um, to misplace a pass and then to scythe through a Liverpool player and earn himself a booking all inside about three minutes. And that was kind of symptomatic of United's performance in the first 10 to 15 minutes. It really did look exactly like a number of the performances that we've seen mostly away from home in recent weeks. Pretty slipshod with the passing and kind of incoherent at the back and, and uh, you know, allied to the 3-4-1-2 system that United have been playing um, and the kind of chaos that ensures. But it didn't turn like out like that over the stretch of the game at all. So the, the few talking points from the start of the game, the decision to play Jones was sort of foisted upon him when Rocco was injured. I'm sure Jones wouldn't have come back. But, but I maintain that Phil Jones is actually the best out of all of our defenders at understanding the requirements of that system. Like, he really does seem to have a pretty good sense of when to get forward and when to stay back and the space he's supposed to fill 
still when United are in possession. Interesting stat from that game that he completed the second most of any United player in the final third, which I thought was weird. So I looked at those passes and they're all in a very sort of specific area, which is him filling in that space on the right hand side in a kind of from the halfway line forward. But then, yeah, that that was a kind of interesting decision that, that he played. And it was very interesting that we did play that three at the back. I felt like that's sort of giving a bit too much credit to Liverpool. And actually, we'd have done just as well to set up with four at the back and try to just outplay them. Yes. I always worry when United play three at the back because they find it so hard to transition from defence to attack, which wasn't really the case against Liverpool, but has been the case in many of the other games. And also because Carrick's then out of midfield. If he's played in the three at the back, of course, which he has done in recent weeks, and it leaves Fellaini as the the holding midfielder, and he's no kind of holding midfielder, so it didn't look good. I mean, when I first looked at the team, I thought I suspect he's going to play three at the back, so that's what I tweeted, uh, and then took a load of abuse off people. Thought hmm, maybe I've got this wrong, and then realised I was actually right. So you know, there you go. Well done. I I uh, picked ten out of the starting eleven because I think I was the only person in uh, the little group of people that I was playing that game with that uh, that had Wilson in the starting eleven, only because I saw a tweet from a journalist saying these were the heavy rumours doing the rounds that Wilson was going to start. And that is a very interesting decision and shows a phenomenal amount of faith in the young man to chuck him into the Liverpool game. This is this is big scenes, isn't it? This is not Hull at home. This is, or was it Hull or whoever it was that he played, this was the biggest game that Wilson's been asked to start in, wasn't it? Well, quite, and very specifically asked, uh, why is Wilson playing and not Falcao? And he, he said that uh, we needed the pace uh, and Falcao is fit. So it's just been decision made on the merits of either player. And Of course, you know, you you could say that, well, Van Persie and uh, Rooney were in that toss-up as well. So it's not just Falcao versus Wilson, but in reality, neither of those two we're going to be dropped, not least that Van Persie is now in good form, whereas when he could have been dropped and wasn't in good form, there weren't any other options. Yeah, absolutely. And Wilson did OK. He really was quite uninvolved, but he did stretch the play and he definitely gave them something to think about, which is an underrated quality in an attacking player. You know, if you can't be, if you can't make a direct personal mm. impact, at least give people something to think about, which enables your, your mates to give them something to think about. It's interesting, as you said, Ed, that the the passage of this game was not that we weren't able to transition because after that first 10 minutes, I think every United player grew into that game, including Fellaini, who I actually thought had a very good second half pretty much from start to finish. He was really effective at breaking up play a number of times and he, he was pretty tidy in his use of the ball and definitely was an effective presence at some point. But it was a moment of fantastic transition that led to United's first goal. All three of the goals came after a really nice passage of play from United and that first goal was probably the first time we'd... Because I was keeping notes, because I was picking out the gifts for Beautifully Red for this one and so I was keeping notes of good things United had done and I barely had anything on the page until just before that goal when I didn't know it was going to be a goal yet but I'd written nice passing play from United at that minute marker and then turns out it was lovely Van Persie continues his resurgence lovely hold up play and then Valencia took on a man and beat him yeah what is this wizardry we're seeing I'm not really sure it doesn't really compute does it so this this may be something like Antonio Valencia of 2010 or something like that it can't be can it anyway um yeah a brilliant piece of play and a lovely cutback for Rooney just on the edge of the box who 
sent the goalkeeper the wrong way with the side footer. You know, it was a, a really fine goal all round. Uh, you know, lovely hold up play from Van Persie involved. Valencia beating his man and Rooney with a very, very nice finish indeed. Uh, you know, great. Just before that, you, you're talking, uh, you were making notes about United's nice pass, passing play about a minute before that. I had said United passing like a pub team, you know, in reference to... Gary Neville's comments because they really were. I mean, and and especially if it went through for Lane. <laughs> yeah, the fact that that goal came some thirty seconds after Liverpool had had a really great chance, which I think it's fair to say Raheem Sterling should have done a lot better. Although De Gea managed all the one on ones with Sterling very well, you kind of think that an inform, confident forward player would have put one of those away because. De Gea can only do so much in that situation, can't he? Right, and I think that uh, initial save that De Gea made from Sterling was absolutely crucial because that was inside the first 10 minutes, right? And and Liverpool were on top, just about, on the balance of things in that, that first 10 minutes. And, and De Gea stood up. Uh, he didn't have to do an awful lot. Sterling basically fired it at him. Uh, which is Sterling's weakness, I'd say, in the final third. Brilliant player uh, let down by the final product. But that was just really crucial. If Liverpool had taken the lead, United would have been on the back foot. Suddenly, that three-five-two, and having to play on the front foot rather than on the break with a reactive game, as United did for quite a fair bit of that match, um, would have been very different. And then a whole bunch of others. So uh, early in the second half, another save from Sterling. A brilliant tip onto the bar from Balotelli's shot as well. I think I think De Gea, I was counting them up, he made something like nine saves during the game. Some more routine than others, but a, a fine all-round performance, and especially versus Sterling. Yeah, the two that I thought were really outstanding, because De Gea was given Man of the Match, which I actually don't think I would have given him Man of the Match. I think I'd have given it to Van Persie again, but I can't argue with De Gea getting it. Um, lots of people saying Carrick was worthy of a place um, uh, in the Man of the Match table discussions as well, and I, I think that's probably true, although he was also part of the defence that let so many chances get in behind them sort of thing but I actually think he had a good game in general but the the two outstanding De Gea saves I thought one was the one where he stood he stood Sterling up a really long way so he kind of he forced him into having to sort of turn back on himself it wasn't so much an outstanding save as an outstanding piece of goalkeeping because we expect outstanding saves from De Gea but the impressive thing about his recent form has been he's been extremely commanding in one-on-ones which is is hugely important as well because it's about doing whatever you can to make the striker make the save look easy. And then the outstanding classic De Gea save from Balotelli, which slow motion does not do that any justice at all. It looks like a totally routine save in slow motion, but at top speed, I thought that was definitely bound for the net and he just managed to get it onto onto the crossbar. So Sterling has that chance. United put together their first good moment of football and it leads straight away to a goal. You mentioned Rooney's fine finish, which it, it certainly was. One of the things about Valencia was after he beat a man, the the classic Valencia slam it into the box was on. You know, there were players in the box. He had that option. So it was really incredibly nice to see him stop, look up, pick out Rooney. That That is not what Valencia has been doing recently. And, and I think this is the... I'm very tempted to put this down to the Ron Vlaar effect. This is Van Gaal getting the best out of players. I mean, yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, it's, it's taking a little while if that's the case. But but th- there are too many players who are now playing well that, uh, or playing a lot better than they did, than that you know make make this not a coincidence in a way, right? So Ashley Young, 
reborn as uh, at least United's second best left back. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, Valencia, um, you know, more positive performances this season, even if it's in the, that kind of wing back role, and and even if he hasn't actually been taking on players, Fellaini resurgent. Although I have to say, still doesn't look like a Manchester United player to me. Uh, Carrick absolutely outstanding over the last month. Not that Van Hull had to do anything to to Carrick to make him a good player, but maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe maybe this is the Ron. Vlar effect. Uh, we'll see. I mean, if Valencia does that on a regular basis and uh, is the man that's uh, finding Rooney's head, you know, 15 times in the second half of the season, then then we'll all be delighted, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. In in terms of players that play played well in that game that haven't always played well recently, we talked about Juan Mata and his not so great performance against Southampton. I thought Mata was excellent and uh, that no-look pass for Van Persie's Set for Van Persie's goal, United's third. I mean, of course, it was laid to him on a plate, but my goodness, that was a lovely pass. But I just thought Mata looked much, much better, much more effective and attacking use of the ball and setting up chances and doing all the things you want Mata to do. And of course, getting on the end of one himself, hugely offside, but nonetheless. Ah, whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I don't think he touched Van Persie's head, even if he did admit to it. He just wants the assist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was I was kind of hoping that the referee might throw the ball into the net for the third, just to you know really watch Rourke melt down. Matt has <laughs> got eleven goals in twenty eight appearances for United, or something along those lines, or his last twenty eight. I mean, he has a fantastic goal scoring record. His output is brilliant, but you're right that he was much more involved. Interesting that he was more advanced for most of the game than Rooney, who really did play in a midfield role. Absolutely, and we have a question from at Joe Red ninety three says. Is central midfield the future for Rooney? I mean, Van Gaal definitely does not see Rooney as a striker, right? I was thinking about that Arsenal game when he's played behind Di Maria and in this game he's played behind Mata. Rooney the midfielder? Does this mean the transfer request is incoming? <laughs> yeah, funny. Um, I I don't know. I mean, actually, there were a couple of games when he pushed Rooney right up top as well. So, you know, we'll see with that one. I think Van Gaal is still in experimentation phase could Rooney be a midfielder? Well, the problem I always have with that is he doesn't do the simple things and he looks for the Hollywood ball and, and not the simple pass. But he did a very good job against Liverpool. I mean, they all did, really. So they all did, really. Uh, so Mata, Rooney, Fellaini uh, completely dominated a Liverpool midfield of, uh, well, that contained Gerrard and, and Henderson. So lots of kudos to Rooney for, for playing the simple ball when he needed to and the Hollywood ball when he needed to as well. And it actually gave Mata a bit more freedom. And part of the problem Mata has sometimes is that him and Rooney get into the same spaces and that forces Mata into the channels where Rooney doesn't attack. Yeah, and that wasn't really happening against Liverpool, was it? Rooney's performance was actually very disciplined and effective. Not too often you can say that about a Rooney performance against Liverpool in his United career, is it? Well, that's the thing that was kind of strange about this. He's so excitable normally when it comes to a Liverpool game uh, that you don't expect the kind of maturity that we saw. In fact, you don't really expect the maturity from Rooney an awful lot. We spoke uh, earlier this season about how his brand of captaincy was screaming at people. I don't think I saw him screaming at anyone against Liverpool. Maybe he didn't need to, but it just felt like a more rounded performance on the pitch in midfield and as a captain. I mean, he deserves enormous credit and I feel like eating a massive dose of humble pie. It's it's, it's early days yet, but 
Rooney's captaincy has really surprised me and and it delighted me I have to say as well because it's it's the surprise you really want right it's that that the thing that you feared would happen which would be bad for United has not come to pass and actually something quite good for United has happened and he kept his head almost all the way through that game he got quite fed up with Atkinson a couple of times but frankly who wouldn't have got fed up with Atkinson you know it's hard not to well yeah I'm I'm not jumping jumping to the conclusion that Rooney's a good captain just yet I've seen plenty uh, in his captaincy this season that doesn't look good and I'm certainly not jumping to the conclusion that he's uh, somehow reborn as a player either because he had a couple of stinking games after that that short burst of goal scoring so We'll see, you know, I, th- I think we're Rooney and I think, to be fair, despite our reputation on this podcast, we tend to call it as we see it, apart from, you know, the odd you know, insult like he's a fat, balding scally uh, who, who asked for a transfer a couple of times. Apart from that kind of insult, I think, you know, we're pretty fair when it comes to Rooney and, and uh, he deserves praise for his performance against Liverpool. Um, I'll reserve judgment as to whether you can extrapolate that to something bigger. No, and, and I wouldn't be extrapolating it if it wasn't, and in fact, I'm not. I'm just saying, against Hull, against Arsenal, against Liverpool, all very fine performances and all very captainy performances. You know, his actual captaincy style, as 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 you said, no shouting at all against Liverpool, and I think it's noteworthy. And as you say, it's far too early to say definitively whether or not it's going to go one way or another. But very promising signs so far. Um, interesting point about that game. No new signings, none of the summer signings playing. There was a shot of Fergie in the crowd. And I was thinking, there's only Fellaini and Matter on the pitch that he didn't manage. And Wilson, of course, who he, I don't, it never got in the first team under him. But, but that was, that was this terrible, much maligned set of players who, you know, are no wonder Moyes is struggling so badly. It was, it was pretty much them lot that, that did the job, wasn't it? Well, there you go. Give them a good manager and they'll do good things. Just <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, yeah, th- th- this is the thing, isn't it? That's, that's, it's impossible not to get giddy when you beat Liverpool, especially when that then makes it a six-game winning streak. But it's yet another game that you could argue we were quite lucky to win, although having a really good goalkeeper isn't luck. Um, but they definitely could have scored in that game. And the system definitely isn't quite working, although there were passages of play that were amongst the best in United's season in that game. You know, you you take this six-game run with a pinch of salt in a way, don't you? Because there have been a lot of performances within those six games that haven't really merited victories. And you you think about, you know, daylight robbery at Arsenal or floodlight robbery uh, and something kind of akin to that Southampton as well. First 20 minutes against Liverpool where United could have been down, perhaps too down. And, you know, you think, well, it would have looked like a very, very different run altogether if the ball hadn't broken in United's favour. A few people were sending around tweets not long ago, I guess from the, the preamble on the Monday Night Football show, um, that United are bottom of the league in terms of chances given up from errors but goals scored, right? Or top of the league in terms of goalkeepers saving your ass when your defenders have screwed up. Yeah, but and, and Rob Dawson from the Manchester Evening News and the Bleach Report tweeted, Van Gaal's invented a new system of football where you just need clinical strikers and an amazing goalkeeper. Everything in between is sort of optional, you know. We've been doing the donut for a few years. So. We have, but this is the logical conclusion of the donut, isn't it? Mm. So, so here's another logical conclusion. Just how much, logically, will United have to pay David De Gea to get him to... Uh, 
sign a new contract at United. He's got 18 months left on the deal. Uh, it's looking a bit like squeaky bum time there, isn't it? Why haven't they signed him up? Yeah, um, we had uh, an interesting, I, I, what I think is kind of an interesting question that's coming from at A.K. Halleck. A. Karlick? I'm not sure. One or the other. Arif, anyway, who, who says, um, have we got any idea why LVG is so reserved and reluctant in complimenting De Gea? And I, I, I didn't really notice that, I have to say. But maybe if he's playing it down, it's just because it's a contract negotiation position. You know, but I think I think LVG is very big on players who are very good can always improve as well. But in terms of the contract... Given the interest that he must be attracting from, you know, every football club in the world apart from Bayern Munich, because there isn't a club anywhere. Chelsea don't have a goalkeeping problem, but most clubs everywhere could do with a better goalkeeper than the one they've got. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, and you just look at the Bernabeu and the mess that their goalkeeping situation has been for the last couple of years and you think he's uh, he's right for a move there. I mean, even Barcelona bought two keepers in the summer and it's not been perfect for them you know and they've juggled those two keepers around a little bit bravo has uh, seems to have claimed the number one slot from ter stegen there are a couple of options potentially there for him and you know he's in a fantastic negotiating position he he's improved immeasurably he hasn't signed a new contract it's a little odd because united have upgraded the contracts of most players who've done well in the first couple of years uh it's it's not been done uh, he's now in pole position to really uh, screw United's money men for the biggest contract possible. Yeah, I mean, are we talking the Rooney contract? Is he going to get the 300 grand a week? No. You don't think he should, no, should but be worth the same? I, I don't think he will, but I think um, he's in the sort of third tier of earners at United at the moment. So he earns £75,000 a week. The second tier of earners at the bottom of that is actually young, earning sort of in the 120k. There's matter on... A bit more than that, and Di Maria on 150 or so, and then there's the three big ones in Falcao, obviously alone, um, and Van Persie, and then Rooney. So I think you know he's clearly earned um, earned the right to be in the sort of second. Forget about the absolute number, but in the sort of second tier of earners at United, and that would put him into the 150k a week bracket, which seems about right in terms of his progress. Um, you know, it's an obscene amount of money, clearly, but doubling his wages given how much he's progressed since he joined, you know, three and a half years ago now, um, is probably about right. And, well, what are the options, you know? So United have to go out and buy another keeper. We know what a mess that can be. Plenty of experience of that one at this club over the last 15 years. Or hope Victor Valdez gets uh, fit and sign him up, you know? There's, there's, there's certainly the some of the newspaper stories suggesting that the deal with Madrid had already been done, speculation, I think, and that Valdez was here not to get fit, but to uh, be De Gea's replacement. I mean, that seems far-fetched, doesn't it? I don't know. Yes, it seems far-fetched. It, it seems very far-fetched. I mean, Valdez certainly hasn't proven his fitness. He is a he is a very high-quality goalkeeper. I don't believe he's as high a quality goalkeeper as David De Gea. I think uh, the fact that he's got 20 caps or so is simply because he was more senior and in the pecking order, and uh, they've had quite a lot of decent goalkeepers in Spain, and Gus Casillas, who's been absolutely horrible for two years, is the the number one until he drops dead, uh, as far as I can tell, with Spain. Yeah, and and I don't know. I just hope that leaves a sour enough taste in De Gea's mouth that he just stays in Manchester his whole life. Why would you want to go to Madrid? Oh, he's going to go to Madrid, isn't he? Well, it's there's lots of money available to him. 
Uh, it's the biggest club in Spain. He's from Spain. It would probably cement his position as number one in the Spanish national team for the next 10 years. Uh, it's sunny. His girlfriend is from that kind of area. So is his family. I mean, you know, hey, can, can I check all these things off for you? Yeah, but, 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 but we love him. They'll never love him like we do. That's the thing. You know that that might not be the case for Cristiano, who gets to be the big flash, you know, outfield player. But there's no way he would be as beloved in Madrid as he is at United. And also, he's an Atletico boy. He's not going to Real Madrid. Ah, but he's from the suburbs, right? And if you know anything about the uh, the uh, loyalties in, in Madrid, it's the inner city fans that are Atletico fans. Yeah, it, it's like um, it's like uh, Manchester City and Manchester United, right? So. The City fans like to think they they are the true fans in Manchester and uh, the United fans are from everywhere else. Well, in in, uh, Madrid, the inner City fans are Atletico fans and uh, I guess the suburbs and and elsewhere are Real Madrid fans. That's a a broad brush I'm painting there. So uh, certainly... Is that as much nonsense as it is in Manchester? (laughs) uh, No, no, it's about right, actually. So, you know, Vincente Calderon is, is right in the... Front and centre of the city, uh, the Bernabeu is is in a nice area, pretty middle class area of Madrid, and and uh, the fans are sort of that's all reflexive fans. Of course, you know it's it's a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah, um, but basically the conclusion is these are scary times when it comes to De Gea, and I don't know. I wonder whether the United will end up having to make him a top tier earner instead of a second tier earner in order to keep him, because I think it's worth it. I don't I don't see in terms of your investment in players. I don't see why he is worth any less money to United than Rooney or Van Persie, unless the commercial side of it tells you that he is. But in terms of points earned and saved and all that kind of stuff, he's right up there, isn't he? You know, He is, but you never pay your goalkeeper as much as your star striker. No, but that's weird, isn't it, when you think about it? Mm. But life is weird when you think about it. Talking of weird, should we do some Twitter questions? Go for it. Always weird, this one. At Benny Hudson says, what's a good finish for us this season? Start off with a grown-up serious one. First. Yeah, well, first, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suppose that's true, isn't it? Well, United now eight points behind Chelsea. It's possible. I'd say Chelsea don't look like the kind of side that are likely to crumble under the pressure. But, you know, stranger things have happened. So, yeah, the first is the best finish. Uh, top three is a good finish. So we're our next. We're playing Villa next. Then we play Newcastle at home. Then we play Tottenham away. Then we play Stoke away. Then we play Southampton at home. QPR at home. Leicester at home. West Ham away. Burnley at home. We could win every single one of those games. It's partly to do with the fact that the Premier League is so weird this season. No team seems particularly threatening apart from like Chelsea and City. But those all feel like entirely winnable fixtures. Of course, it would be extremely unusual if we did end up winning all those games, wouldn't it? You know. Yeah, it would be. I mean, look, everything that, that Newcastle have done this season suggests they could come to Old Trafford and get a point, for example. Did you see that game against Arsenal? So, yeah, look, they were terrible at the Emirates, but that's not been the case all season. They actually put a very good run together, didn't they? So what I'm saying is they could come to Old Trafford and do something. Tottenham away is typically not an easy game for United, you know. I mean, I, I do come back to that passage in the Roy Keane's book where uh, he's thinking about the Spurs game in the, the dressing room and uh, he's thinking, oh, don't overanalyse this, don't overanalyse this. It's, it's just Spurs and Fergie walks in and says, it's Spurs and walks out uh, and everyone knows they just have to go and beat them. Fair enough. Um, United have a, a pretty decent record at White Hart Lane over the years, but uh, Spurs are, you know, keep threatening to 
to put a run together, don't they? A good winning at Swansea at the weekend, so not an easy game. And there's two days uh, in between those two games, less than two days, in fact. So it's a pretty tough one. On to Stoke away uh, again. You know, I know United beat them comfortably at Old Trafford recently, but you know, not necessarily. It wasn't that comfortable, was it? Really? Well, quite. And and you know, never the easiest place at the Britannia, is it? Then the cup game, and then you know, Southampton in a terrible run at the moment, QPR and Leicester. So you know, United, even if they don't win all sort of six of those games, four wins in that period would would keep United well in touch at the top. I think. Yeah, unless Chelsea get back to kind of unstoppable players. It's interesting because they play some similar teams. They're playing Stoke away as well, West Ham at home, Southampton away, Tottenham away, uh, close together those games. So kind of that's that's a sort of interesting one. And then Newcastle at home. So a very a very similar kind of run. And Right. But it's now that United have to get the points because, you know, look at United's March and April fixtures. And I know there won't be any European games in there and, and hopefully... Chelsea and City still have some European games. I actually, personally, I know we're talking about it like this, but I don't actually think United are going to put a title-winning run together. No. But, you know, fair enough. You know, in, in the context of this, the season, you, you never know. But March and April is is a really tough run of fixtures. Everton, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Tottenham. You know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of the bigger sides there that, that you'd expect to be nearer the top. Um, and, and so that's going to be a tough time. And, and hopefully those games clash with some European fixtures for the opponents too, at least some of them. Yeah, although perhaps not City by March since they've got Barcelona in the next round. It's sort of vaguely hilarious that Arsenal have ended up playing Monaco because the whole narrative around Arsenal's qualification was that, oh yeah, they've done it again, qualified in second, blown a good chance to top the group, they'll get someone really good and go out. No, they've got Monaco. You don't think uh, Dimi will uh, do for them? <laughs> Maybe. That would be uh, lovely because it's always nice when Berbatov scores goals, isn't it? Um, at Tom underscore McGee says, how does Santa get round the whole world in one night? It seems impossible. Well, have you not seen the uh, the NORAD Santa tracker? I haven't. I urge you to go check it out. So on Christmas Eve, you can see exactly where he is around the world. I did notice recently that Google had started doing a Santa tracker in a blatant ripoff of the original uh, one and only NORAD Santa tracker. I mean, you know, it's, it's Santa Wars going on here. <laughs> Outrageous. I, I think... I think anyway, the answer is it's the magic of Christmas, Tom. You should know that. You've been watching Christmas 24 again, haven't you? I haven't, but I have been listening to Christmas music to a ridiculous degree. Like Spotify recommended me some music the other day that wasn't Christmas music. And I was like, what are you doing, Spotify? It's December. I don't want to listen to the top hits. If it doesn't have Christmas in the name, I'm not interested in the playlist. Oh, dear. (laughs) At a boy called Young says, in spite of his alleged naughtiness, is it okay for me to still love Herrera? Of course it is. It's only alleged naughtiness, and he was very young then. And anyway, it's only a bit of match fixing. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear, naughty, naughty man. Yes, you can like him until he's found guilty and goes to prison, and you know, one of those um, for this kind of uh, naughtiness, one of those uh, federal pound you in the ass prisons. I suggest it might be. Thanks for that image, Edward. <laughs> Not at all profoundly unpleasant. Um, at Stew underscore one five one two says Reese James, Nacho Monreal, and Ashley Young have all been described by Louis Van Gaal as our friend. Can you see any logic in his criteria? Yes, left backs. <laughs> They've all played left back. Yeah, so Ashley Young tweeted the other day that he joined the fullback club. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Interesting. Well, look, 
his best performances in about three years for United have become a fullback. I mean, it's yeah. it's actually hard to fault his performances in that position. You know, I'm um, hardly a young fan. I think he's just, uh, you know, he seems like a nice chap and all, but aside from being the, you know, a nasty diver, um, uh, he's just a bit mediocre. And so I always get this kind of feeling of, meh, he's earning way too much for such a mediocre player, but he's done a fine job at left back. Yeah, and having given you rightly all the credit for your prediction that Liverpool would completely capitulate, I would like to say that history has shown that I was on the right side of history in the will Ashley Young make a good left back debate we had at the beginning of the season. Uh, it's it's rare that that happens. Can they score podcast co-host at Tommy underscore CTS says reindeer have been struck down by carrot flu. Choose four United players to stand in and explain why. Well, first of all, he's not a player, but obviously you've got to have Sir Alex in there because Ferguson, the red nosed manager, obviously totally works. Falcao has got a sort of vaguely majestic reindeer look to him, right, with his long flowing locks. And he's full of energy and he's a big lad, muscle-wise. He could do a job, I reckon. Di Maria, he puts in a shift, doesn't he? He'd he'd do a bit of reindeering, I reckon. Um, Who else would you have in there? You want Carrick in there to... Do do they have to be current players? I mean, surely Rude would get in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he would for his outstanding work rate. Is that what you're saying, Ed? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you have Carrick in there to organise the back. You know, make sure all the reindeer are, are doing whatever they need to do in time. And you need Rio in there because you know he's uh, he's got a bit of magic dust, hasn't he? I don't understand that reference. Uh, at United Calypso underscore says, "Give De Gea everyone's wages." Hashtag Rankcast. Yes. Obviously, that's the right answer. And your women and your firstborn. In fact, anything he wants. It used to be K stands Barmy Army. It's going to soon be De Gea stands Barmy Army. At Rob Pollard underscore, as opposed to at underscore Rob Pollard, says, in Robert Browning's poem, The Laboratory, is love presented as pure or a catalyst for paranoia and evil? I've never read that poem, have you? Uh, I have not either, which which sounds bad because it sounds like we're a couple of illiterate morons uh, as we are not, no. most definitely. Uh, well read, but I have not. So I shall go and read it and I'll give you an answer next week. I'm not that well read in terms of poems. I know what I like, though. I like Archie and Mahitabel. Ah, <laughs> anyway. Very good. Yeah, no, I can't say poetry is my, my, you know, weapon of choice when it comes to literacy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, now and again. Just like to say, you saying I can't say poetry is my weapon of choice is maybe my favourite thing that's ever happened on this podcast. Um, uh, at Hannah May J says, should I draw David De Gea? The answer to which is obviously yes. I hope you're enjoying your run, Hannah. Hannah listens to this podcast while running. At Kevin Livingston says, uh, why is LVG persisting? Serious football question now. Why is LVG persisting with Fellaini in games that would be better suited to Herrera? Mm. Ed, have you got a theory on this? Because I'm fascinated by this topic. No, I don't actually. So the game yesterday was clearly going to be a technical game, given that Liverpool went with three at the back and no one up front, and that United went with three at the back and and uh, therefore attempting to keep possession of the football. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I I think solely because of the personnel involved. So. He felt more comfortable with the Carrick at the back with Jones just coming, uh, and Jones and Evans just coming back to fitness, uh, and therefore he wanted someone to fill in in the defensive role, and uh, that's the only reason I can think of. Other games, uh, I think Herrera just wasn't quite fit, and Fellaini was. I think there's a sort of loyalty thing there as well, isn't there, that Fellaini has rarely let him down. In fairness to Fellaini, I mean, I know he's not been fantastic some of the time, but he has put in some good 
performances in that time as well. And, and uh, you know, Van Gaal's obviously managing his confidence. There was some talk, this is just taken from the Red Monk Union podcast, but that Herrera had actually um, uh, somewhat upset Van Gaal with a bit of discipline issues away from the club. Nothing, like, really terrible or anything, but just a bit, like, not towing the line. And then he had so the story goes, got himself very much back in line and is working hard and doing all the things Van Gaal would expect of him. So maybe that was something to do with it. And I wonder, part of me is inclined to sort of panic about Herrera and think, why why isn't he being incorporated into the side? This is like, he's clearly needed and all that sort of thing. And then I'm I'm also thinking, well, Van Gaal sees this lot as a long-term prospect and a long-term project. And he's picking his players based on who's fit and all that kind of stuff and actually there's plenty of time left for Herrera to come good yeah there is and he's only 25 years old so it's not a rush but but you know on the specific questions you know in in some matches um he's clearly picked Fellaini above Herrera because Fellaini hasn't played in a defensive midfield position for most of those games he's played as one of two or three so you know, I'd pick Herrera every single time because he's just much, much better player and he keeps the ball. And if United are going to play an attacking possession-based game, then he's just a better player for it. But there you go. You know, I, I'm not manager of Manchester United and Louis van Gaal here, so he, he has his ways and they normally work. And I think United looked loads and loads better in that Liverpool game. It's kind of ridiculous to say we looked really much better when we went 3-0 up. But actually from 2-0 up, once Herrera was on, we looked a different side. And I was sort of stopped being scared, having been sort of petrified most of the way through that game. At Jaffo says, if you're a defender and your only out ball is Fellaini, at what point in the game do you feign injury to get subbed? Harsh on the big fella, in my opinion. Harsh on the big fella. And sort of redress that balance at Machine Gun saying, I reckon Fellaini's been the best United outfield player since halftime versus West Brom. Discuss. I think that's way too strong. No, he hasn't, but he's he's a, he's a big fan of Fellaini's and has been for a very long time. So, you know, I'll take that one with a, a little pinch of salt. You know, fair fair enough, but uh, not not for me. At Sea Armband, the captain's armband, who very kindly had me as a guest on the Man on the Post Extra Time podcast. Uh, just, a, just an aside before you ask the question. So, so Bleacher Report, where else have you been? The the Extra Time podcast, and there was some other site that you guessed it on. Uh, Media Whore, or what? <laughs> hey, listen, that's one podcast appearance and a job that you've just talked about. So I don't think that's fair. The The, the podcast appearance, I'll give you that. That's fair. That was just because uh, it was fun. But I always enjoy Chris's virtual company. And he's a Liverpool fan, and he says... If I'm not too late, did beating Liverpool feel A, brilliant, or B, amazing? C, spectacular, Chris. It was... It was brilliantly amazing. I I also enjoyed it. So uh, in my team at work, uh, there is a Liverpool fan, unfortunately. And uh, I felt very smug all day. Smug for a couple of reasons. One was United beat Liverpool 3-0. And the other was that United beat Liverpool 3-0. And the other was that Steven Gerrard's career is going down the toilet really fast. And I quite enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. He's had a good career. We'll give him that. He's won some good stuff. But I don't know about you, Ed, but I've never seen him win the league. No, no. uh, I've never seen Steven Gerrard win the league. And I'd be willing to bet a very, very, very large amount of money. And perhaps, you know, you as well, that he will never win the league. So if anyone would like to bet some money 
and ownership of Paul. Hey! There's my wager. <laughs> I do not accept your terms. <laughs> um, at, at Billy Bob 1310 I might have said the last one was the last question, but this is the real last question. If you could only read one thing again out of Matt's blog or Rooney's tweets, what would you choose? I would definitely choose Rooney's tweets. I like Matt's blog a lot. It's very sweet, and I like how he tells you what's happened in Spanish football and signs off with hugs. It's lovely. But... Wayne Rooney's early doors tweets are the best thing that's ever been written. And he still comes up with a cracker from time to time. Uh, yeah, I think I might go for Matter's blog. It's just a better read. Yeah, you're, you're very erudite, Ed. See, you You see, this is you. You're widely read. I'm not so widely read. That's. Uh, I, I just want to read Rooney just going, mate, 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 mate. <laughs> and telling Darren Gibson he should call his dog Thunder. And that sort of thing. Great days. Heady days. Good stuff. Uh, so we play Villa, talking of heady days, a ground where United have had many, many, many fine results over the years. Uh, a favourite with many travelling reds, presumably for its relative proximity to Manchester and also for it's, it's a good old-fashioned stadium, isn't it? And got that lovely front stand. Yeah, a good old-fashioned stadium that's only ever full when United are in town. Fact. <laughs> yeah, um, very fond of the only live around the corner chant. I only live around the corner, so I always feel that it's somewhat valid. I've really wanted to go to this, but I've not been able to get a, a ticket in the away end, and I'm not sitting through the home end again, because uh, last time I did that, Nemanja Vidic jumped into the away fans, having equalised, made it to all. It was quite uh, difficult to sit still. Yeah, uh, so I think United will go to Villa and win comfortably. I mean, Villa are god-awful, aren't they? They are, they're, they're absolutely stinking, but mind you, they are still ahead of Everton in the league, and that's a different story i suppose but uh, villa are terrible uh, they're not getting better anytime soon um, they might just escape without a relegation fight but they are only five points uh, ahead of the relegation zone at the moment um, and you couldn't say that they'd had too many good results this season no they've put something of a sort of slight run together since um well since roy king left which i don't know paul lambert's been very very adamant that actually roy king was doing a cracking job and he was quite he was very defensive over Keane, not in a, you know, he genuinely appeared to be defending Keane from allegations that there was some training in ground bust-ups and stuff like that, and I'm always inclined to believe anyone that's defending Roy Keane. But yeah, Villa sort of had a little bounce after that, but they lost at the weekend, and, you know, when it's just three points that United absolutely need, because you want to keep that winning streak going to seven, which would start to seem like a ridiculous number. Six already seems like a ridiculous number, but... There's a potential for us to slip up if we don't, if we're not at it. But I think he'll pick a pretty similar side to the one that started against Liverpool. And I suspect he'll probably switch it so it's four at the back. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about this one. So I'm now, I have to say I was a little surprised until I saw the team sheet that it was a three against Liverpool. You know, I couldn't really see the thinking given that United were sort of on the top, so, you know, as I said, I think that was pragmatic. Jones and Evans, another week of fitness under their belt. I think we can go back to a two, can't we? Who else is available? McNair was on the bench against Liverpool. He could certainly play as well. I think they will go with the more senior men. Rojo is out for some time, unfortunately. Um, We're not sure exactly, but it won't be available for Liverpool. Blackett is available. Uh, He normally likes to go with his left foot, right foot. I think if he's going with a four... I think uh, I'm right in saying that every single time this season, 
Uh, it's been a left foot right foot combination so Evans is right footed but he's very comfortable on his left is that is that good enough for Van Hal? we'll see I think it is because he played Evans happily at the left of a three and he hasn't played any right footers there I'm sure he'll be he'd be happy enough with that that my one worry is that he thinks the uh free at the back is effective in some way you know which it has been under the right circumstances and and we did look really good going forward um in the game against Liverpool oh you mentioned McNair a really lovely touch from Van Gaal to bring McNair on at the end of that game he definitely didn't have to do that and it, it felt like a very public kind of backing of the player who he'd taken off yeah because it was brutal his substitution wasn't yeah. it yeah so and now it was a, it was a nice touch and yeah, look, just an aside, you know, we had a conversation earlier in the season about United's identity, especially around Danny Welbeck being sold. Well, it's in safe hands, isn't it? You know, Wilson starting ahead of you know, £50 million Radamel Falcao. McNair coming on just to show that he is in Van Hull's thoughts. Uh, you know, great stuff. Um, McNair, who, of course, who's out of contract in the summer. Interesting. Uh, who else? Who else was on that list that's out of contract in the summer? Well, Falcao obviously because he's a one-year loan, uh, no option taken yet. Michael Carrick. Uh, a lot of talk that he'll be offered a new deal. He has, he's earned it, right? I mean, he's been superb since he came back from injury. Cleverly, he'll never play for United again. Fletcher, tough call on that one because, well, he's a very much a bit part player, so he hasn't really earned a new contract. Anderson's definitely off. James Wilson, not signed up yet. Patrick McNair and Ben Amos is off. So, you know, of those, get Carrick on a, another year deal, another year or two maybe. Um, and Wilson and McNair, I hope they're doing the work to get them signed up on long-term contracts. It's fascinating, isn't it, the McNair thing? Because, I mean, Wilson, everyone saw coming. I'm sure nobody would have been surprised by discussion around Wilson getting a first-team contract at the end of this contract. But... um McNair, it's like a complete bolt out of the blue, isn't it? And and but yet with the performance against Southampton aside, he's been superb every time he's played, and you would certainly expect them to keep him, especially with Van Gaal bringing him on at the end of that that Liverpool game. Yeah, well, so look, it it just makes good sense either way, right? even if there isn't a long term future for him. Uh, United do make good money out of the the academy in terms of selling players on, so you know it, it more than pays for itself. So it's uh, it's just good business to make sure he's uh, contracted. Um, anyone who, who took him would still have to pay a fee because he's under twenty three, uh, but it would be a, a fee set on a formula and, and nowhere near his real value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Villa are terrible. We keep winning. I'm a little nervous about this one. I, I I was really confident we'd beat Liverpool for some reason, but this one just because everyone was sort of saying, "Oh, it's Liverpool's cup final." They'll they always turn up for this, but they don't look like a team that's playing for their manager to me. And I I think Rodgers will be out before the end of the season because I I I think they've turned on him. <laughs> that's that's my reading of that from a distance. But Paul, earlier this season, you were claiming that they would find no problem <laughs> making up for the goals that they'd lost through Luis Suarez. I was, indeed. I thought they'd signed really well, but uh, I, I thought Balotelli would hit the ground running. But instead, he's he's very much hit it strolling about the place, looking surly. But, I, you know, Sturridge will come back. That might make a bit of a difference then. But they just, they, they look like they're in pretty serious trouble. Anyway, Villa are obviously in serious trouble, but I do feel like this 
will be a bit more cup finally. I think they will be really up for this and desperately trying to prove themselves and all that kind of malarkey. So if, if United take it in any way lightly, I, I think it's going to be difficult. But I'm still going to predict a United win, but maybe not a not a glowing one. Back to the two ones. All right, yeah. I, I think uh, United will be comfortable. Um, I don't expect a brilliant performance because there haven't been too many. Although, if you took the last 60 minutes against Liverpool uh, in isolation, you'd say possibly the best 60 minutes of football United have played this season, you know, or close to it. So, yeah, let's flow that through into the Villa game and, and United will win 2-0. Lovely. What sounds good to me. One thing I will predict is that Van Persie will score because he is back, baby. Robin's back. He certainly is. It's not just the goal scoring. He He's nope. moving. He's moving. Oh, what, what's going on? He's, there, there is movement up front for the first time in about 18 months. And when Di Maria comes back, he's not going to come back into a static attack. And that's going to make so much difference. We've already seen it with Mata. Like, Mata looks better because the attackers are moving in front of him. And and when Di Maria comes back and there's people moving in front of him, it's going to be lovely. Um, I'm also excited about Falcao coming back and establishing himself in the United side because I, I am not ready to write off Falcao yet. Which brings us to the subject of the mug competition. Uh, because... Um, that we have got a winner of the lovely mug from Urban Colours. Follow them on Twitter at Urban Colours. If you haven't won this competition, as all of you apart from this one person haven't, you can get two pounds off the mug by using the offer code Rankcast, which is nice. We don't get anything from that. It was just a, a nice, a nice offer that Jamie gave to to Rankcast listeners. But the winner of the biggest mug competition for the sheer audacity of nominating his dad is at Berbacay who says sadly my dad was the biggest mug at Hull when Falcao came on he said he'd rather bring back Forlan and I have to say as football opinions go not rating Radamel Falcao is one of the most bizarre football opinions imaginable to me because the guy scored about a thousand million trillion goals in Spain Mm, yes very true Uh, he's uh it's a strange one, Diego Forlan. What a great career he had, just not at United. And then what a great career that uh, Falcao's had, just not at United. Yet. <laughs> Yet. I was I was kind of really hoping that Falcao wasn't going to do really well against Liverpool because doing really well against Liverpool is quite bad for cult figure strikers at United because Forlan ultimately not a success at United. Berbatov, an entirely qualified success at United, both of whom did spectacular work against Liverpool. So um, I, I want to see Falcao just slumming it and doing brilliantly for loads and loads of games, not peaking against Liverpool. Yeah, very good. Um, maybe, maybe he'll get a game against Villa. Uh, it's about time. The, the thing is, you can't get Matt Sharp if he's not playing. I, I think Newcastle's the one. That's that's only because I'm going to it. But I want Falcao hat trick against Newcastle. That'd be that I would take that. That would be really nice. I think he'll start to be integrated into the team now. He looked sharper against Liverpool. His movement was really good. He looked so hungry, obviously, as you would expect at this point. Yeah, he's desperate. He's desperate, and uh, you know, actually, I like to see that. I think uh, that says a lot of good things about him because. You know, he's a man on a one-year loan. He should be very comfortable. He earns a ridiculous amount of money. He never really needs to work ever again if he retired tomorrow. So, um, But he's desperate to do well, even though he's not really a Manchester United player. I mean, I don't know if I've said this before on a podcast, but it's his first big club. You know, Atletico Madrid are a, a, a 
of a decent sized club and obviously they're doing tremendously well at the moment but they're not a massive club in world football and he's been on a trajectory working towards a big european club because he's played at big clubs in south america but you know working towards a top european club and this is his first time and that's why he's so happy to be at united you know and just still desperately hoping it works out for him. Yep, let's hope so. And I'll tell you what I desperately hope for. What? Another United win. Seven in a row. Come on. That would be seven in a row. I, uh, what, what's the uh, most wins in a row that United have ever had in the Premier League? I don't know. But six in a row is the most that any club in the Premier League has won this season. So that's quite something. I don't know. They must have won a lot of games in a row at some point. We must have done, right? I'm quite sure. I just don't know the number. Ten in a row at the beginning of the 1985 season. So so some way to go for United's uh, sort of records in that department. But uh, yeah, I, I think they'll do it. I think it will be seven in a row and it will be heading into the Christmas programme in the highest spirits possible. Fantastic. And talking of Christmas, I mentioned Christmas music earlier. Worth pointing out that Manchester United legend... Dion Dublin has released a Christmas album, although it's not really a Dion Dublin Christmas album. I was hoping it was going to be all dube versions of uh, classic Christmas hits, but it's actually just an album which he's curated, although he does play saxophone on one of the tracks. And it's surprisingly non-terrible, that Christmas album in general. Is it it a dube or a dube? You raise a good point. Yeah, I I always wanted it to be a dube because it sounds like dude. Of course, it's named after Dublin, right? Dion Dublin. It's the d- dub, dub, dub. It's not the dub, is it? Anyway, I- enough of this nonsense talk. We will be back again, probably before Christmas, all being well, with a seasonal winter festival of your choosing Rankcast special that we do annually. Just be a normal Rankcast, but with sleigh, sleigh bells. bells. <laughs> yeah. 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 S- you-, you see where we're going with this one. Stay by Boyzone is not, or was it Boyzone? E17. Not a Christmas song, just a normal song which they put sleigh bells in and put out at Christmas. Cheating. Definitely cheating. That's phoning that in. It's phoning that in. We will not do that. We will have more than sleigh bells. We may even have some <laughs> reindeer sounds. No. No, that's not what they say. That's a horse, isn't it? Not a rainbow. Oh, right. Dear. Right. This is going downhill fast. If you want to get hold of me uh, between now and next week, you can get me on Twitter at UTD Rantcast. Get Ed at United Rant. Get both or more accurately, neither of us, at Facebook.com slash United Rant. Read what Ed has to write on UnitedRant.co.uk. Read what I have to write on the Bleacher Report. And many other sites and podcasts. <laughs> Once, amongst your whoremongery of media once a month i write for scott ed once a month um and every month he complains you i mean not him he's not complained yet although i'm sure that's coming you could leave us a review on itunes that's really nice if people do that and if you want to chip into our christmas fund it's unitedrant.co.uk slash donate stop donating to podcasts about criminals because i know you've been doing it you know what i'm talking about <laughs> Uh, and donate to podcasts about potential criminals, including Anda Herrera. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a lovely week, folks. I hope that the world is treating you nicely and we'll see you at some point next week.